0: Listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally.
1: Welcome, everyone. My name is Tim Parati. I am the Director of Product Management uh, here in Equity Research in the US for BMO, and I'm with Ken Zaslow who has been covering the food and ag space for BMO for 17 years. Uh, Ken just recently initiated coverage of Beyond Meats, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Beyond Meats and the overall plant-based meat sector. So just to get started, Ken, why don't you give us a little background as to how this space was progressing, and why don't we talk about prior to COVID, and then we can talk a little bit about how COVID interrupted that.
2: Ah, Thanks a lot. Uh, welcome, everybody. Um, it's a good question. Look, plant-based meat became a viable food category with a meaningful base before COVID hit. But then plant-based meat sales increased 45% in 2020 to a meaningful base of about $1.4 billion from about $811 million in 2018. It even generated the highest growth of any U.S. plant-based category with sales of more than $100 million and twice that of conventional meat. Though to be fair, though, it never achieved the critical mass relative to the protein industry. It only represents a fraction of the overall $270 million meat category. It only reached 1.4% household penetration relative to 15 to 16% for plant-based milk. So the big question is, how does it transform itself into having critical mass?
1: And Ken, uh, let's talk a little bit about how the pandemic altered the course of progress for this category.
2: Yeah, look, unquestionably, the pandemic derailed the growth of plant-based meat as it slowed to flattish growth by the end of 2021 from about 40-plus percent pre-pandemic. Food service demand came to a halt with the exception of QSRs where really there isn't a lot of plant-based meat on the menus there. With lower traffic, operators trimmed menu offerings, and consumers were less willing to try trial new products. On the retail side, consumers prioritized conventional meats, While labor and supply chain issues constrain supplies and innovation, which for this type of category is so critical given its nascency and need for trial to spark retail demand. But here's the thing. We want to make a distinction between structural and multi-year effects. For instance, we expect ongoing elevated demand at retail, but we expect a sharp mix shift into retail away from food service is largely temporal, as consumers will return to eating out. And if you take like a Beyond Meat, for example, prior to the pandemic, Beyond derived more than half of its sales from food service channels. However, its food service exposure dropped to as low as 26% during the pandemic. This mix should return to more of a 50-50 balance over time. The bigger issue is that the timing of consumer acceptance may be delayed given the heightened level of anxiety across the consumer base. For trends to really take hold, there needs to be many factors that come together all at once. And I'm not going to minimize the environmental benefit or consumer desire to become healthier, Consumers may not have the time, energy, or bandwidth to focus on these priorities, albeit important, as as they did pre-pandemic when the world seemed to be a much simpler place. The pandemic may have pushed consumers into a survival mode, in which consumers' behavior may become more bifurcated, some more inclined to focus on comfort foods and less willing to venture outside their comfort zone, while others are seeking less healthy alternatives and they have this, like, life is too short mindset. So this challenge here is, will this temporary mindset create a permanent delay in restaurants' willingness to broaden the menu? Or even may it create like a false failure rate if products are introduced into the food service industry? One structural change that we talk about from the pandemic for sure is that the plant-based protein category needs to adjust to increase in drive through restaurants. drive through lanes now account for more than 40% of off-premise orders. Obviously, plant-based meat companies will need to expand into QSRs with drive-through options. The increase in volume and demand is a clear benefit, but the shift towards QSRs will exacerbate a long-term pricing headwind as QSR food service business tend to have lower average ticket prices. For example, like if you think that the McPlant burger will be around the $4 price versus average retail, maybe about $7. But here's the thing, not all the changes will bode poorly for the plant-based category. For one, we think meat prices will remain elevated, which makes it easier for there to be price parity with uh, meat. Also, there's been a lot of discussion about heightened competitive pressure and encroachment from brand extensions from like large, large established food companies such as like Tyson and, and Kellogg, as well as like new entrants. The reality, though, is the pandemic seems to have strengthened the lead players and big brands continue to win at the expense of new and challenger brands. We expect the two current market leaders, Beyond and Impossible, uh, will largely maintain their share dominance, and in fact, they drove nearly ninety percent of the category growth in two thousand twenty-one. While the next six players generated a seven percent composite decline.
1: All right, so that covers the kind of fascinating history of this category. It really is fascinating how the psychology that you talk about with consumers, maybe going back to their comfort zone, but now on March tenth, as uh, I'm sorry, February tenth, as as we record this hopefully we're on our way out of the pandemic. So what do you see as the path forward?
2: Yeah, look, plant-based protein is likely beyond the worst of the, uh, of the growth headwinds. It's likely reached an inflection point, and we do expect like double-digit annual g- growth over the next three to five years. The question obviously is how sharp the inflection point is, but here's what we're thinking. First, there's definitely a need for sustainable food, but marketing needs to improve consumers' awareness. The perception of nutritional profile and the environmental value of currently available plant-based meat products may not be entirely understood by consumers. Second, with a return to more normalized away-from-home consumption patterns, food service operators will begin to re-engage with consumers to expand menu items to include more plant-based offerings. We don't know how the pace or the consumer's acceptance will be, but like Beyond Meat, Open 2022 with two big food service wins that have potential of doubling its current food service sales base. McDonald's initiated limited time offerings of McPlant uh, Burger in three European markets and recently expanded the McPlant Burger from eight to 600 locations. In addition, Beyond announced a limited time offer of Beyond fried chicken at all KFC restaurants. In the event that the plant-based protein becomes a mainstay in food service and, and they can convert to permanent items, we would not be surprised if our overall growth estimates were too low. Third, look, easing of supply constraints and labor issues will undoubtedly create more availability and provide more opportunities for innovation. There's been so many lost opportunities because of availability, and we would expect the easing of supply chains to enable more product innovation and offerings. And fourth, look, we talk a lot about food service, but there's substantial opportunity in retail for greater distribution and increased items per store. Uh, Beyond doubled its U.S. retail outlets to 34,000 over the last two years. Even with this doubling, Beyond's products are only sold in just over 20% of the stores compared to 76% for refrigerated conventional meats. In addition, we anticipate the average items per store for the overall plant category will accelerate meaningfully as retailers remain willing to add more plant-based products, product innovation accelerates, and supply constraints begin to ease. In fact, retailers have already begun to stock more plant-based meat meat items over the last few years with refrigerated items increasing to 327 from less than 300 at the end of 2017.
1: So one of the bull arguments here for the plant-based category is comparing plant-based meats to plant-based milk products. You think that's a fair comparison?
2: Yeah, look, you know, we get that question all the time about the balance. Uh, Plant-based milk, uh, which is double the size of plant-based meat uh, market provides an interesting case study for plant-based uh, protein as it is the highest plant-based penetration rate across food. But plant-based meat in the US definitely has a lot of untapped potential. So we're not gonna doubt that, but it likely will fall short of the opportunities and market penetration of the highly successful plant-based milk category. We think US plant-based meat will fall well short of the total $46 billion of addressable market implied if we were just to use the plant-based milk's 16% penetration rate for the $270 billion U.S. meat category. In fact, we see penetration for plant-based protein more in the range of like 5%. And it is still early days, so you can't really finalize the conclusion. But there appears to be some key differences between the adoption of the two plant-based categories. First, plant-based milk growth has far exceeded that of plant-based meat. Even using a two-year stack to account for COVID, recent growth trends for retail plant-based packaged meat moderated significantly to its lowest level in three years, despite significantly elevated retail demand. On the flip side, the two-year plant-based milk growth moderated only to about, you know, from its peak, but still to the high teens. Second, plant-based meat's evolution and consumer acceptance continues to lag that of plant-based milk. Plant-based milk has accelerated its growth rate in a step-function pattern, reflecting the constant evolution of the category from soy-based to almond and other nuts. In contrast, the U.S. plant-based meat category penetration remains stagnant at 1.4%, while plant-based milk continues to grow over time from 13 to 16%. Third, plant-based meat's relative taste profile may not create the same level of acceptance as plant-based milk. The success of plant-based milk, in our view, is largely linked to the plant-based milk innovation that has led to products tasting better than the previous non-dairy substitutes. The difference between almond milk and skim milk is, is minimal. There's not much of a difference between the two. But the difference between a hamburger and a plant-based burger, much bigger difference. Um, and, and plant-based meat has yet to achieve the elusive goal of replicating the true taste and feel of conventional uh, proteins. Like we kind of say this as like differently though it is. Look, there's a distinct difference in the crave factor between conventional protein and plant-based meat. And fourth, demand for plant-based milk benefits to a great degree from health needs. Like, for example, plant-based milk is considered more nutritious, has lower calories, and caters to a growing population of lactose intolerant consumers. In contrast, plant-based meat is not uniformly accepted as being significantly healthier. And until that is fully reached, I think there's that disconnect that will happen.
1: Okay. So, all that said, um, what would be kind of a game changer in your mind? What innovation could be out there or some other occurrence that would really get you maybe even more excited about this category or for Beyond Meats specifically?
2: Yeah. You know, we, we, we've been thinking about this, and, and there are really three game changers price parity, a discernible health benefit, and taste parity. Look, first, to make plant based protein mainstream, there needs to be a price parity with conventional meats. Pricing creates Accessibility allows consumers across the economic spectrum to be able to afford plant-based proteins as an everyday item. Second, similar to almond milk, plant-based proteins need to create a discernible and tangible health benefit. People have to have the need to want to eat plant-based protein. And third, without hesitation, the most important is taste profile. Taste improvement to parity with conventional meat remains the ultimate panacea for the industry. The taste profile needs to align closely to its meat substitute there is still a wide margin between the taste profile of plant-based and conventional meat. Companies continue to seek to improve their product uh, taste profile and reach even more broad-based improvements in several areas, including fat, flavors, aroma, appearance, and texture. But it really has not closed that gap enough. And here's the kicker, and this is where we kind of say something a little differently than most people out there. I think plant-based protein companies need to develop a portfolio of products, not just one offering. I say this because, look, the plant-based protein consumer is not uniform, but instead quite the opposite. Plant-based protein consumers are bifurcated. There are certain consumers that prefer the taste profile of a plant-based meat not to replicate conventional meat. They they like the taste of vegetables. They want that in in their plant-based meat. Then there's the other side who enjoys the taste of of the meat and it really wants it to replicate the traditional burger. So there's really a dichotomy between the two types of consumers within that. So we think it's better for plant-based companies can really think of a portfolio effect rather than just one product line. But here it is. The bottom line is as we think about it, we're not sure if, if uh, plant-based protein category has really reached that tipping point in consumer acceptance. And I think there's a lot that needs to be done for that to happen. But without hesitation, there's plenty of opportunity for plant-based companies to succeed in align with evolving consumers through marketing, innovation, channel migration, and price points. And I appreciate your time, everybody.
1: Can I really appreciate it. I think it's safe to say there's nobody on Wall Street who understands protein demand, food demand, the psychology around uh, consumer behavior in new categories than you. And I'm glad you're on our team. And I look forward to watching this space and watching how your thoughts evolve in the space. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to In presented by BMO Capital Markets, Equity Research. You can subscribe to In Tune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public disclosure.